Yes, hello. It's Jason Liu. How's it going? Welcome back to the Ultra Culture Podcast, episode number 72. My guest today is one of the very first repeat guests on the show. It's your friend and mine, Mickey Pellerano, who was actually on the show a few years ago, but has returned, thankfully. And we had an awesome two hour or so conversation on magic and astrology and the use of astrology for magic, which is something that I don't know a whole lot about, but he knows a ton about and has a super enlightened and unexpected and interesting perspective to share on it from his work as a professional astrologer working with all kinds of people on, you know, real life stuff, um, working through difficult life transitions and, and things like that. So uh, he is awesome. Let me read you a little bit. I'll, I'll just read you his bio from his website, which is mickeypellerano.com. Let's see. Mickey Pellerano is a Cuban-American artist and occult scholar. His work combines elements of drawing, painting, film, performance, and ritual derived from both Eastern and Western esotericism. He maintains a reputed practice in astrology as well as frequent writings, workshops, and presentations on artistic and metaphysical topics. Pellerano has presented at institutions such as MoMA, MoMA PS1, Serpentine UK, the Geffen Contemporary Los Angeles, the Brooklyn Museum, the Museum of Art and Design NYC, the Warhol Museum, ISCP Brooklyn, Mira Barcelona, ICA Philadelphia, and the 2019 Venice Biennial. His work has also been influential in music through his various contributions to album art, and music video for such record labels as Sub Pop, Cranky, and Sacred Bones. Featured publications include the New York Times, Art Forum, Vice Magazine, Bomb Magazine, Zing Magazine, Hyper, uh, Hyper Allergic, K48, Straight to Hell, as well as Disinformation. Hey, that was Generation Hex, the book we worked on together that he contributed to way back when, and Printed Matter Anthologies. Digital appearances include Ultra Culture. Hey, Hang on, that's also me. SF MoMA's Raw Material and Beyond Reality Podcasts. Pellerano graduated from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts Experimental Theater Wing in 2003. He began his thoroughgoing study and practice of occultism in 2002 and received initiation into a formal uh, hermetic order in 2014. He lives and works in Brooklyn, New York. Awesome. You may also know him from his new project, which we talk about a little bit at the beginning of this episode, Time Lord TV, which is a video interview kind of um, variety show where he interviews musicians and occult people, and it's pretty awesome. So we talk about that. Definitely check that out too. All right. So with that introduction, I think I need say no more, and I will just get straight into the interview. Uh, although I should say also, Memorial Day is coming up, and I'm going to have some goodies for you. I will keep my lips sealed for now, but one of them, which I will tell you about right now, is that we are going to have another Magic.me World Summit. So you may remember, we had a World Summit last November, which kind of turned into this massive uh, you know, I think hundreds of people showed up for it and it was kind of like a zoom rave. So it's basically exactly, <laughs> excuse me, exactly like a rave, except no dancing, no sweating, no drugs, no getting raided by the cops at four in the morning. No, well, which unfortunately, you know, all those things are fun. We can't really do them on the internet, but 
we did the Zoom rave, which is people talking to each other on the computer. Okay, so not exactly the same, but the core element there, human connection across every imaginable border, national, transnational borders, uh, gender, orientation, background, race, everything, people were coming together and talking about the thing they love, magic. We all love magic. It's fun and cool and makes you smart and makes you an empathic and compassionate person. And it was awesome last time. I mean, people were just you know, opening up and talking and, and sharing tips and tricks that I was kind of in and out and, you know, doing my, my spiel, but I, I pretty much stayed out of the way and let people just hang out and do their thing. And, and I just kind of subtracted my personality from the whole thing. Uh, you've got lots of me talking at you on podcasts and office hours and courses and things like that. I don't always need to do that. I'm actually happiest when I I step aside and let students do their thing. And it was a really, really great experience. And we're doing it again on Monday, Memorial Day, May 31st. So you probably have, you know, the day off work, or maybe you don't work, or maybe you work from home and you can kind of have it on in the background. Uh, Don't get in trouble, but, uh, you know, people do that. So check it out. It's going to be available For everyone who is a subscriber to magic.me, that includes any product, you know, monthly, yearly, or if you just took one course or a mega course or any of that, anyone who is a paid student of magic.me will have access. So uh, jump in. If you're not already a paid subscriber, there's a billion reasons why you should become one. And I've said many, many of them on the show. I mean, and so I won't belabor the point. We have every class imaginable under the sun on magic, live office hours, uh, the the list of benefits and awesomeness goes on and on and on. And of course, you can see them at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. But I think you've heard me talk about this already. So, hey, if you want to join in the World Summit, the 2021 World Summit on Memorial Day, then subscribe and you'll be getting an email uh, or, or purchase any course. You'll be getting an email um, from me on monday with the login info it starts at 11 a.m pacific standard time and goes long and goes probably late until late at night and i don't want to promise ahead of time but last time we ended up extending it several days we'll see how that goes this year because it would extend into the working week but we'll see we'll have to see what the uh, demand is but definitely all monday and monday night it's gonna be happening All right, my dears, I can't wait to see you in the 2021 Magic.me World Summit upon the digital Mount Olympus, where the Olympian gods, that's you, get to meet and converse and hang out and and do all this, do your crazy magic stuff. I know about what it is you kids do. All right, uh, I will see you then. See you there. And in the meantime, here's Mickey Pellerano. So, what's up? <laughs> Hi, Jason. What's up? Welcome back. You're, you're one of the only people to be on the show twice so far. So, oh, really? Of course. Yeah. Perhaps the first person. Yeah. So, wow. welcome back. When, what? Thank you. When was that last one? Maybe Damn, four or man. five? Yeah, it was like four or five years ago. We were like in Greenpoint, right? No, it was in LA. Oh, yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. You were house-sitting. I had like the portable... No, I wasn't house sitting. I was were, I was at my friend Sonny and Nate's house, and it's all I was at, I was doing that thing at the 
uh, Geffen Contemporary. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So you've been busy. Uh, tell what's um, what's up with Time Lord. I want to know. I want to. You've got a huge new project. You should let us know about it. Yeah, uh, Time Lord TV. It's a TV show. I put it out every month. It's kind of like a magazine. We have like a monthly issue, um, and it starts out with a brief astrological forecast for the month um, that I compose and illustrate. You might say with um, film montage and. Um, then we always have a musical guest uh, and they also provide the score for the astrological forecast. And then we always have a guest who's working in occultism uh, at this time, you know, so we have like a goetic magicians and scholars and Freemasons and authors and um, all kinds of people giving their um, insights on, uh, you know, wh whatever area of the occult they're working in. So this, this month is going to be a great show because we've already shot the musical guest segment. It's a, a dance, uh, uh, it's a dance duo, I guess you might say that are, uh, very prominent in the art world. They're called Flucked and they're awesome. And they're the musical guest and very insightful, brilliant ladies. And then, uh, our occult guest, you might say is, Christina Engelhart, whom I discovered from the Aliens and Artists podcast. And she and Federico Fellini for years communicated with these trans-dimensional beings via like telephone calls on payphones. And, you know, they would send them uh, straight. They'd be like, go to the hotel lobby at 3.30 PM. And Fellini would walk downstairs and Christina Engelhart would be there. And he's like, oh my God, it's you. We have to take you to Tulum to like find Carlos Castaneda and like all this Whoa. stuff. That's crazy. Yeah. That That's there's other stories like, like, uh, what's his name? Paul Foster case has had stories like that where he's like, he's like, I'm in contact with aliens. And like, how are you in contact with aliens? It's like, Oh, I met him at a hotel. It's like, what? <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, the story that this woman tells Christina Engelhart, well, first of all, she's a brilliant storyteller, you know, and, uh, but it's almost frightening because these beings, whoever they were, even if they were, you know, human pranksters or whatever, they really were watching them very closely and, and knew where they were and knew what was going on, knew how to reach them. And they were getting all these messages. You know, it's, it's almost surreal to hear a name like Federico Fellini and know that a story like this is happening. Um, so it's, it's really fascinating. And Christina Engelhart is a lovely woman. She's also a, um, uh, psychic medium and she's uh, does tarot and astrology since she was very young and she actually she also dated woody allen when she was in her teens she's in the recent woody allen documentary on hbo i saw her on that too so wow. i'll be interviewing christina engelhart in los angeles this coming saturday I'm very excited about that and um yeah we'll have flucked and it's a it's a great show. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy about this project. It sounds like it's like an occult variety show almost. That's exactly what it is. People <laughs> call it that all the time. Yeah, it's like a, like a Johnny Carson almost or something like that. Interesting. So uh, I do have to say, like I was I was complimenting you on I think what on text or whatever also, but uh, your so Time Lord has the best production value of any occult <laughs> uh, media venture I have ever seen. And I just want to compliment you on that because it looks awesome. And I, I appreciate that because I know how hard it is. You know, I don't know if you have a team working with you or not, but it looks really good. Um, 
Well, you know, I do have a, I have a background in video and film, you know, I've, I've directed a lot of music videos in my day and I've, you know, made a lot of short films in my day. So I do, um, I've got a great, uh, director of photography. I've got a great color corrector. So, uh, they help, but my background as a filmmaker really helps to bring it all together. And, you know, that was part of why I did it. I saw a lot of astrologers kind of flipping their phones around and being, Hey guys, you know, Jupiter enters Pisces and stuff like that. And just kind of very off the cuff. And I'm like, mm, I want to do something with more formal, right. With more, uh, um, more concrete, something with more longevity. And, uh, that's not off the cuff, you know, that treats things with more respect, I think, and more reverence. And, um, you know, it, it was also met based on that show, Thinking Aloud, when they would interview kind of Joseph Campbell and Terrence McKenna and yeah, Colin Wilson and stuff in the oh, 80s wow. on, on PBS. You got to check that. You love sounds, that. That show. sounds great. Yeah, that sounds very nostalgia, trip down nostalgia lane. That sounds really good. Oh, man. Yeah. The Joseph Campbell one, the Colin Wilson one's great. The Terrence McKenna one's great. And um, I believe you can watch them on Gaia and some of them are on YouTube. But I loved how they were having these cutting edge thinkers, you know, on this show called Thinking Aloud, as, as in thinking permitted, you know, and um, kind of in this environment we're in right now where content is kind of thrown at us in like memes and everybody wants to go uh, viral. So they want to keep their content nice and, you know, frivolous and nice and open to everybody. And I'm like, well, you know, what about those people in the world who are starved for intelligent content you know no, i think you're, for... you're completely right and and the good thing is it's really happening I, I think that um you know it's 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 been such a cliche for so long for so long that people are saying oh yeah like nobody has an attention span anymore like people don't read they're on their phones all the time but you know when i started doing this show uh and i i'm more regular with it now than I was. But at now when I started doing this show, I realized that that is not true at all. It's actually like the Marshall McLuhan thing of the medium is the message where it's actually the format of the technology itself that's doing that, not people's brains. It's like, yeah, if you're on a phone scrolling through Instagram, of course, you're going to have a short attention span. But podcasts and long form video content on the internet, now that we have broadband, uh, proves the opposite. We're People like, you know, like people, some more than half of America listens to podcasts now. Like people, people will sit for a three hour podcast or they'll binge. Or the other thing is they'll binge watch a show for 30 hours on Netflix. So I think that it's not true that people have a short attention span. They're just being presented. You know, if you're, they're presented with a, a medium that encourages a short attention span that is meant to be consumed with a short attention span, then yeah, they will. But people are, I think, more intellectually starved than ever. And I think that that's really a space for people like you and people like me to, to step up more than we were before, I think. Yeah, you know, and and I try to make it aesthetically pleasing. I try to make it fun. You know, I also kind of inspired by what um, uh, Glenn O'Brien's TV party, you know, I've got my like, weird downtown like art world friends on the show showing demonstrating what they do and you know we're we're having a good time you know it's 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 a fun show are you doing and, that witch hot, you're doing that witch hotline thing also right no that's not me that, that's my friend frank Haynes, oh, okay who, i thought you were involved in that well what i i made an appearance on witch hotline okay, okay. but that's that's done by uh, this artist named Frank Haynes, who's a very dear friend of mine. And he actually 
um, is uh, works with me on Time Lord TV. He helps with camera and lights, and he's he's been a huge support system for me. And he's he's really like a spiritual brother to me. You know, he's a wonderful person, and he is the genius behind Witch Hotline. Yeah, that that is hilarious for anyone who hasn't seen that. I guess you should just look it up on Instagram, right? But it's like I think it's on YouTube also, right? But no, it's just on Instagram. It's just on Instagram. It's it's super funny. It's yeah, Frank funny. is a performance. He has a performance art pedigree and a and a you know design and art. Uh, he's a one, one very talented artist, and so he right now he's pouring that into many projects. But Witch Hotline is uh, is definitely a favorite. Excellent. So what what's the reception been like so far uh, so far for your show? Oh, it's been good. Yeah, I think people really like it. You know, it it has a. Uh, uh, and that's the thing. It appeals to different parts of the show appeals to different people. Some people like the astrology the best. Some people like the guests the best. Some people like the music, you know, like, like a variety show, there's stuff for everybody, you know? So there's, um, and, and I try to present the content if I can, in a way that is, uh, relatable and in a way that, uh, you know, people can begin to understand topics that are, difficult you know topics like goetic magic topics like uh freemasonry and initiation topics like the lunar zodiac and the lunar mansions i mean this is difficult material but um i've been lucky to have guests that have so much charisma and so much intelligence and they really put forth this information in a captivating way so um the show has been very fortunate that's great i i really i really hope it's really successful for you it's it looks awesome it's I, I need to catch up on episodes, but uh, is it timelord.tv, right? Well, you're on the list. You know, we got to get you on oh, the show for sure. Damn. Okay. Yeah. yeah for sure. You're, you're, def- you're definitely getting on Time Lord. That'd be great. But uh, um, yeah, it's just, it's a YouTube channel, Time Lord TV. So cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm going to catch up on that. People should definitely check that out. I'm really excited about it because, because, you know, I love you. I've known you for what, 20 years. And something, oh, yeah. Right? I've known you for a long time. Long I, time. I think I met, met you maybe 2004. Yeah. If not slightly yeah. earlier, maybe. But yeah, probably mm. 2004. Um, but yeah, like, you know, just a quick recap, you contributed to Generation Hex. And that's, that's how I know you. Right. So, you know, I, I also think that like I, I actually had a really like I had a really heartwarming moment when I was watching your Instagram, and I think you had you had an interview, or somebody was interviewing you, or something, where there was a clip of you talking about astrology, and you were talking about how fulfilling it is for you to work with students and um, help them make life changes, and and it's not just about know what you know, it's about what you can provide for other people. That was like, so awesome for me. I was that really touched me because I've also come to a similar conclusion. As you know, I teach magic, right? So for me, you know, you you saw me in peak edgelord mode, right? And so now, uh, as we all were back then, although you were always the most classy and sophisticated of anyone, but uh, for sure, <laughs> what, for sure. What do you mean the most classy and sophisticated of, of whom? Of, of, of what? Of, of, that, of that, what? that whole occult scene, you know, like you're refined. Uh, you have a, an elegant and refined way of doing things and you insist upon <laughs> it. And that is very rare, right? So, so um, or, you know, no one else was, was doing that. So I always appreciated that. But... Um, but you were talking about, you know, of being of service and helping other people. And that's also the conclusion that I've really come to, you know, as you know, I was so kind of burnt out and cynical for a while. And then I had a realization at a certain point that it's like, 
Like, no, Jason, you're just being an asshole. It's like the whole point of this is what can you do for other people? Like, that's all that matters, right? It's like whatever, uh, whatever you learned, you, you're not, it's not about hoarding information in your brain because you're going to die anyways. And who cares, right? <clears throat> it's about or collecting crazy experiences you've had. It's about what you can do for other people. And that, that for me, complete, actually, that realization completely turned my life around where all of a sudden it was, um, things were great again, you know, because it was about, you know, no, it's you're there to teach or to provide a service and to help people. And so when I heard you expressing the same thing, it was just like, it's like, oh, yeah, that's great. That's as it should be, right? Yeah, well, that was on Jake Coburn's uh, podcast. Um, and which was, I think, just came out maybe about a month ago or a couple weeks ago. And I was, I wasn't really talking about students. I was talking about my astrology clients, right, right, know? right, right, and and how, um, you know, and and this this moment really comes from. Um, I have a teacher, an astrology teacher. I would call him a master, really, under whom I study. His name's Austin Kopic. He's yeah. a very well-known yeah, astrologer and deservedly so. I mean, he's a brilliant magician. He's a brilliant astrologer. His book, 36 Faces on the Decans of the Zodiac, I mean, really uh, changed astrology for me, I think. And, and being his student has also changed astrology for me. And I'd had a session with this woman and she'd been gifted uh, the session, you know, by a, a young family member who's another client of mine. And she, you know, it started out very mom and very like, oh, you know, cute. And then as astrology tends to do, even if the person isn't forthcoming right away, it, it gets into the the heavy, you know, it gets into their pain and it gets into whatever they're struggling with at the moment. And uh, I'm just, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. And so, you know, eventually I, I, this woman and I were talking about this very difficult thing that she's going through and the astrology was so accurate in pointing it out. And the astrology was also so accurate in pointing out medicine and, and help, you know, and how she could really optimize, um, uh, the situation and, and succeed, uh, navigate it successfully. And afterwards I just had to write to my teacher, Austin, and I had to be like, listen, you know, I mean, studying under you and and my capacities as an astrologer now and the way that i'm able to help people through through their darkest problems has just been like the best job in the world you know it's it's just been the most meaningful thing to like to help someone save their marriage to help someone save their kids you know and 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 it's not me it's it's the astrology right astrology is such a powerful tool you know that that it's not that i have this special gift i, I just have an understanding and an engagement with astrology and i was thanking my teacher i was like listen i was like i just can't thank you enough for for what you've given me and he wrote me back and he's like that you know that's that's the key he's like if we're not helping people and we're not using this to help people improve their lives, then it's just masturbatory knowledge. You know, yeah. we're not, and I'm not on Twitter or anything. So I don't, I don't hear the astrologers who are spouting their knowledge all day long. Like I, I don't engage with that. So I, I'm not familiar with that world, but, but I know it's there. And my teacher really, I think put it in the, in the loveliest way. It's like this, that's really what it's for. You know, astrology has always been a tool to um, 
to help people through the vicissitudes of life, you know? That's, that's really beautiful. I mean, I think that's true of, of, you know, all magic in a way, even individual magic that is pursued for your own enlightenment for back, lack of a better word. I mean, part of that is for the benefit of others. And so I think that, um, but it's true of, I mean, it, just the fact that, you know, being of service to others, it, it's not, that's not just magic. I mean, I think that's kind of the meaning of life in a way or a meaning, right? That, that when you make it not about yourself and about what you can do for other people, then everything just clicks into place where it's like all these things, whether it's magic and astrology or tarot, or whether it's, uh, how to, you know, roofing houses, right? Like any human skill at the end of the day is just a tool for it, you know, for making life better for yourself and the people around you, you know, and, and improving our, our collective evolution here, I think, you know, and that, yeah. that's, you know, I think as, as, as you know, and as you probably observed with me and lots of people that we know, I mean, there's definitely a stage with magical people, particularly in their, in their twenties, where they are very self oriented, even if they don't think they are right. And, and that there can be a lot of not just ego aggrandizement, but edge lording and but it's not just that it's just the feeling of like, Oh, woe is me. Like, why is this not work? You know, why? Why is my life a mess or something like that? And and I think the fundamental orientation there is, or, you know, just the simpler way of saying that is just the drama capital T capital D, right, that people generate. And a big part of that is that their perception is oriented towards themselves and not not towards other people. Um, and, and at the end of the day, what, like I said, I think, you know, whether it's astrology or tarot or, um, meditation, teaching meditation or learning how to like, you know, make, you know, put roofs on people's houses, whatever it is, it's at the end of the day, it's just something that you're, it's a skill that you're getting good at music. Any art is the same way. It's just a skill. And if you're actually good at it, then you can use it as a service for other people, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, well, wait, wait, first of all, what is edge lording? I don't know what that, oh, oh, that oh. is. Oh, so yeah. Edge lord. I guess this is internet slang. Edge lording is like being like deliberately, deliberately provocative and, uh, shocking and pushing people's boundaries and being like, oh yeah. Like I listened to, uh, you know, I listened to lust Mord. You couldn't handle that, you know, like that type of thing. You know what I mean? Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, like being lord of pushing the edge and pushing people's boundaries and and being like that kind of shocking person oh okay okay i get it yeah well i'm i'm not you know absolved you know of <laughs> narcissism right i'm well, not, I'm not ab- yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not absolved of of you know being selfish and self-centered or any of those things at all um however one thing that's great about astrology it's almost a tool that that takes you out of yourself in a way or, or, um, um, helps you engage with compassion and, and strong, uh, engagement into the life and the karma of somebody else. And then also really, especially with, uh, traditional astrology, you know, which, which I practice Hellenistic medieval Renaissance astrology. Um, we, we see that our chart is not really just us, you know, our, the only part of our chart that is us 
technically is is the ascendant right that that point on the eastern horizon at the moment of our birth hmm. the rest the rest of our chart is is other people and oh, other you mean things. like generational and, planets and pluto and all the outer planets or for whole blocks of people that type of thing right but also you know okay your rising is you right and but and then your seventh house what's setting in the sky at the moment you're born that's not you that's that's your partner huh. you know that's who that's who you're with you know, it, it, the fourth house at the at the nadir of the chart that is that is your family. That's that's your domestic and and private uh, environment and your past, and the the apex or midheaven of the chart. This is your 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 public persona, your social prestige, right? But it's also the people, in a sense that that um, uh, you know, in a helpful way, but but do dominate you, right? Who who deign to give you that success and and whatnot, you know. And then we have houses that are social, that are your friends, and we have houses that are um, uh, uh, dealing with things like siblings and and immediate uh, social environments. Then we also have houses that are succeeding. So these are houses of property, right? Our property, the property of others, things like this, uh, uh, creative cachet, our children. These are all, these are all, uh, in the chart. It's not just us. And, and it's almost as though everybody's astrological chart is this kind of protoplasmic, uh, web or something that engages with the charts of others all the time you know so we're just we're really uh like bubbles it's it's almost this like sloterdijk kind of idea of like constantly being absorbed and reabsorbed into each other's drama but with a with a big beautiful uh capital d you know what i mean like drama in this kind of uh um mythological sense right that gives our life meaning and that makes our life the opera that it is you know it, it's it's as though our charts are weaving in and out of each other in this way that is very um uh connected you know and and it's not about solipsism and you know it, it's not really uh, i love a lot of things about modern astrology you know the, the astrology up until the 1990s you might say you know but that was very psychological based it's like oh you know when something transits your seventh house you're gonna feel this way about your marriage it's like no the the ancients say that when something transits your seventh house it will affect your partner hmm. and it will it will affect you through the partner. So it's not just but like a me, me culture thing. That's not so at all. I love how you describe that about like this kind of universal ballet. Did you relate that to the body of Nuit? Um, interestingly, no, but interest almost, almost by accident. I was thinking recently about how, um, I, I and I'm paraphrasing, but there's that, uh, Crowley, uh, I don't know where it's written in, in Crowley's uh, work, but something about the goddess Nuit, right? Who is the goddess of infinite space and the infinite stars thereof and all this. And they say that the, um, uh, the shapes of creation are traced upon her body. And, and in that sense, yes, it's as though the Zodiac represents mm, the, the constellations. The, uh, yeah, and and yeah. obviously, you know, the not just the zodiac, the 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 dome of stars that that is beyond the belt of the zodiac as well. Um, it, it reminded me a lot of kind of John D and and that uh, in Elizabethan 
stuff, you hear, you hear about the book of nature and how nature is meant to be interpreted. Uh, nature is a, is a living, breathing entity that is meant to be uh, decoded almost and, and interacted with. And uh, it's, it's very much an animist perspective, I would say, even if it's just philosophical and not necessarily spiritual, even though D yeah. If anybody was communicating with spirits, it was John. D, right. right? No, I, I, but, I, I agree. And I think that that's really the definition of what hermeticism is. And I think it's just for me, all of this stuff, particularly at this point, is just about looking at what is right in front of my face. It's about observing nature. And, and I think that, um, you know, at the at these in these time, he was they use the the term natural philosopher for people mm-hmm. who are into this stuff, which I think is still a great term you know, natural philosophy, it's, it's, it, and it's exactly what you're saying, which is they're observing the book of nature. And, and I, I think that's more about, it's not, it's about more than just observing, for instance, the physical nature and the movements of stars, which of course it is about, but it's also about just particularly as you get older, being perceptive and being aware of the patterns of life and and that there is a pattern and there is a structure uh in in a platonic sense and in a a sense that changes as well and that's a fundamentally it's more than just a fundamentally comforting experience to understand it's like one of the great gifts of magic or occultism or natural philosophy or whatever you want to call it is that you get a sense that there really are patterns to existence and that is so comforting because it shows you that there's meaning to life not in the sense of the meaning of life but that there's meaningful patterns and things that are beyond you and things that are eternal and will outlast you um, i would even go so far to say that the lack of perception of that which most people dwell in unfortunately and which modern philosophy and modern science um, enforce by saying that there's no kind of that me you know existence is rudderless and and chaotic and constructed um undermines that almost in the sense of you know in the cliff off at the top of the top of instead of kether you have thamiel the competing gods right and it's it's like that where i think even for young particularly for young people you know growing up children adolescents if they have a sense that there's no structure and no meaning to existence it is nothing is more inherently demoralizing and nothing is more inherently exciting and moralizing and and uplifting uplifting than to realize exactly what you're saying which is there are patterns and there is structure to nature and that therefore you're not there's intelligence and and compassion in the universe and you're not just alone adrift in randomness totally and yeah like even the word metaphysics you know i think now when we hear the word metaphysics we imagine a crystal shop somewhere or you know some kind of new age thing but what metaphysics really is 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 the philosophy of reality right is is what is our interpretation of reality what what is our interpretation of uh the our material surroundings that we perceive as reality this is that's the essential definition of metaphysics right it it, it's been sequestered into this like i don't know sedona arizona kind of place right now but but that's but why should it be you know why should it be outre and why should it be bizarre to study the nature of reality like uh why does it have to be compartmentalized in this way why shouldn't it be integrated into the way that we are 
alive, you know? And, but if you really think about it, I mean, there's very few people that I can think of in this world who do not sense some kind of mystery. I mean, maybe it's the circles I run in, but I don't think so because I, I know all kinds of people, you know, I, I hang out with 90 year old men who watch Fox news all day sometimes, you know what I mean? And, and almost everybody I know um, is, <sighs> at least has an inkling of, of the mystery that is reality and the symmetry that exists or the patterns, as you say, um, they, it's almost impossible to completely shut oneself off to that, I think, and, and not sense it, you know, and, and the fact that, um, I don't want to be poster boy for astrology or anything, but, but like you said, it's so uplifting and excited, you know, I, I can literally be sick in bed. And if I've got a astrology meeting coming up, as soon as it starts, I'm like, boom, all huh. the energy just returns yeah. to my body. And I just feel so alive. And, you know, um, well, you've always been like that. I mean, you've always loved magic, you know, so it's like, yeah. it's always been and me too, you know, it's like, it's, 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 it's been your thing. And you've always been enthusiastic about it, which has been which I very much appreciated. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that what you're talking about, it's just human nature. And, you know, when you look at, for instance, I've met so many people from the former Soviet bloc, right, who were super into this, and you probably have too, right? And, and particularly in New York, there's you meet so many people who came from uh, Russia or other Soviet bloc countries. And um, my general impression of them is that they are often much more serious and studied than Americans and like very serious about it. And one of the reasons is because all of a couple of reasons. One is all of this stuff was banned uh, under communism. And when the wall fell, there was a mat like that one of the first things that happened was there was a massive explosion of interest in spiritualism and one was because people could now do it without being killed but the second was because when times are chaotic as they are right now all over the world and um, there's a sense of helplessness and a sense that the authorities don't know what they're doing and they're just lying to you and that things are inevitably going to fall apart and that just we're being swirling down a drain, then the inherent nature of human beings is to look for structure order and just something to, 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 to lean on. And everyone like, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, uh, no matter where you're at, you everyone needs someone to tell them that it's going to be okay, and not as a lie, but you know to find the way in which it will be okay because there always is one, um, it, not in every sense, but in many senses. And, and ultimately, the real gift of spiritualism or whatever you want to call this is to understand that if you zoom out far enough in the in the galactic sense, everything is fine, you know. And um, so. So, but I think that the fact that the, the the Soviet world went through that really is a testament to what you're saying, which is very, very few. I, I don't know if there is a true atheist in the world, you know, but very few people can live without a sense of connection to the mystery. It's just that we have obviously squabble about the the details, although not as much as people, you know, the Christopher Hitchens of the world really dial up that religion is a source of conflict or that belief in the transcendent is all an inevitable source of conflict or war. But if you, I think if you really study history, it's not necessarily the case. Even when you look at things like um, the Catholic Protestant wars in, in Europe or the troubles in Ireland and things like that, you, you, if you really dig under the surface, what you start to see is like, I was just talking to someone on the podcast about this. 
you from Ireland, you really start to see that it's those are just surface dressings on much deeper conflicts. You know, it's not really about religion. So, oh yeah, I mean, I mean, dogma is what is what causes that kind of schism, not spirituality. You know, it's 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 when spirituality becomes codified and and uh, 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 petrified even into something that that can be weaponized. You know, I mean, the, humanity we're going to weaponize anything that we get our hands on, really. You know, so so it's that's that's what it is. But it's it's not that that. Uh, spirituality or belief in transcendent transcendence is inherently dangerous, you know, on the contrary. And it, the, the magic thrives, like you were saying, when, when the consensus is, is inadequate, you know, or, or when, That's when society is somehow, you know, intolerable in some way. And, and that's when great things just tend to happen. All of a sudden an important book will get discovered or translated and people start, it's like some egregore gets unearthed, right? And we all start latching onto it and learning about it and incorporating it into um, our practices and stuff like that. So it's, it's very much, um, yeah. And I, I see what you mean too, about how it's different in America than in other countries. You know, I feel like in, in, even in places like London, you know, when I was a kid, like I remember that their attitude toward occultism was very like, oh yeah, you know, like this is just it. And which I related to a lot more than in America. I felt people were very much like, oh, I, I'm buying a book on John, you know, Enochian magic. Look at me kind of, vibe, right. and, you know, and although and, that, uh, that said, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, it's like London very like, you know, occultism is such so baked into England from D yep. to the old witchcraft to spare and all of that. But that said, um, people are more intellectually uh, sophisticated with it there, perhaps. But right. the thing that I really do appreciate about America, and it's probably because of our, um, which you don't as much get in England, that, that is probably a artifact of our religious heritage of being, uh, of, of coming here to escape, you know, England and, and the old world, and also being religious heretics, is that people are very sincere and sweet. And, and, and people are very open, much more open and much more heart open in America and much more willing to accept that, uh, I would say incorporate the whole idea of magic into, for lack of better way of putting it, the quest for God in a really true and deep sense. than you get in England where England is extremely dry, arch, cynical, and and not very spiritual, despite the fact that they are you know, not in all cases, but not very spiritual and not very spiritually open. To fight, despite the fact that they're much more intellectually sophisticated with the cult mm. topics, you know, it's just Eng England's a godless atheist country. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I see what you mean for sure. You know, I'm, my family's from Cuba, and you know, it, it's funny. You know, the 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 attitude toward magic that my family always had was that the you know the elegant ladies of my family whom I love to death. I mean, I've got a beautiful family and they're so cool. And, and, you know, th they would be in society and they'd be like, Oh, never, never would I practice uh, Santeria. I'm, I'm a devout, uh, I, I'm a devout Catholic. I'm a devoted Christian. I, I would never uh, pra uh, practice magic. And then as soon as like the doors are closed and everybody's out of the room, they're like, oof, I better get all that stuff out of the closet and do some magic right now. You know, like, so, like they did it in secret because they believed in it so much. And, and they, they really were so 
it was so genuine because it was secret. Does that make sense? They weren't yes. making a show about it in any way. They weren't trying to, uh, in fact, they, they might've even been ashamed that they did this, <laughs> you know, sure. they, they, they didn't want society knowing that they were right. engaging in this behavior. Yeah. They're in the For closet, what? literally. But, yeah. L- literally yeah. in literally. the closet. They, yeah. they were practicing this. Th- they had, my great my great aunt had a walk-in closet in Coral Gables in Miami, and then a closet within the closet. Oh, damn! And, and that's, that's where that's where the swords and chalices and you know portraits yeah. of saints with bleeding wounds were kept. I still and think, all that I remember stuff. you telling me about that. I still think about that sometimes. And, yeah, and yeah, I, I, uh, but yeah, you know, there's parts of, for instance, in China, you know, the Tibetans have have to pr- um, practice. Tibetan Buddhism in their closets or they'll be tortured and killed. So, so there's, there's many things about there's, there's, I think one of the incredible things about our current moment, and I've been saying this forever, but it only gets more and more true is that this is perhaps one of the only times in history in recent, you know, and I mean, recent on a long time scale, but recent history that people have been able to operate out in the open. And, and I don't think we should underestimate that we really do live in a golden age. And I, I think that what you were saying just now, where you were saying, you know, there's this kind of group egregore where people are learning new information and taking new things on, that's amazing, right? And I think that that's so much more the case now than even 20 years ago. I mean, we've seen so much change in our own lifetimes. I mean, I think you and I were kind of early to the party. Uh, mm. and, and at least in my case, there I had a tendency to... I left to to kind of distance myself from the party early because I thought it was never going to happen. And that obviously was not the case. And I think that, um, you know, like, you know, when I, when, when I, when in the early two thousands, I mean, I was in occult groups and things like that, but it was still all extremely secret and small. And there were really good things about that where you were saying kind of, it's like when you keep it hermetically sealed, then it's much more meaningful and powerful. It doesn't, it, things do lose power when they're exposed to the, out, exposed to the public, let alone the internet. Right. But the flip side of that is that we, I think that just it, even in our own lifetimes and, and to some extent through our own efforts, we've seen a, uh, um, uh, you know, and I certainly credit you with part, part you with a lot of it in New York. I think we've seen a gigantic, uh, the real, the Renaissance we wanted to happen. You know, it's like, you know, it's like when I, when we were doing generation hex, I could count the number of magic people I knew on certainly on two hands, but it was very small. And of course it wasn't, but people were just much more, um, quiet about it. And, and now that is not the case, right? I mean, you were one of the only people that I knew that, um, was all about it you know what i mean and and right. and i was going to say earlier you know it's like not to slight anyone but a lot of the people that were in generation hex have fallen off you know or or were never fully practiced or disciplined in the first place in the same in the way that you were right and and uh, you haven't you know you've only you you because this is really a sincere thing for you right and you've been pushing really hard for the whole time as 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 i have and i, I think that um, I think that we really are seeing the occult renaissance we wanted to happen. And, and I, I think it's getting, it'll just keep getting better. And I think, I, I hope that people get much, continue to get more disciplined and sincere about it as time goes on. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, people are doing such great 
work. It's like, I'm, I consider myself a small fish at this point. I mean, the, the kind of work that people, books that are coming out on this stuff and translation work that's happening. And, you know, I, I mentioned Austin Kopic earlier, but then there's also, you know, all sorts, Demetra George, all, all these people, um, uh, um, Gordon White does great work, you know, the, uh, these people taking magic and really working with it, you know what I mean? And they have the expertise and they have the experience and, you know, Ryan Butler's made, I don't know how many lunar mansion talismans and he can tell you what they're all going to do. And, you know, Christopher Warnock has made this many uh, planetary talismans and he can tell you what to expect when you're practicing astrological magic. And, you know, it has been, um, and these people have been working for the past 20 years too, you know? So, so, um, so it really, I, I, I just feel like to be an occultist right now is so awesome, you know, because, yeah. be, because our resources are richer than ever. I mean, the Picatrix, we would read about the Picatrix in books by Francis Yates and, you know, books about, about uh, Renaissance Italy or about even the architecture of Washington, D.C., how planetary magic was used in all of these uh, constructions, right? In, in all these metropolitan, um, uh, what do you call that? Like urban planning, I guess you might say. Um, but uh, yeah, shout out, shout out to William Kiesel for that. I mean, I remember when he, he first put that out, like right, I think when I was living in Vancouver, right? So a lot in what, 2000 or maybe before. But yeah, he's, oh, yeah, he's done so much to bring such so much cool stuff out at Mort Lake Books, uh, Mort Lake and Company. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's like the, the translation of the Picatrix is, I mean, that's kind of a historical event, I yeah. would say, you know, yeah. and then there's the other, uh, there's, there's the John Michael Greer and Warnock translation as well. And they, I, I honestly am a big fan of them both. I think that they have different virtues. <laughs> uh, both translations are good in their way for depending on what your purposes are. But um, but yeah, I mean, it brought this magic that was really, I mean, not only basically for the patrician classes through the Renaissance and forward, but the freaks who knew the Latin and studied the astrological magic of those times, right? So like Elias Ashmole and stuff like that, maybe. And now anybody can have a copy of it. You know, anybody can work with planetary magic. Anyone can work with talismans or, um, you know, the lunar mansions and, and any of this stuff. And we were talking earlier about Damien Eccles, you know, and I know you and I love, at least I do still, like, I love hermetic magic, right? I love all the, uh, pageantry and all the Edwardian uh, exclusivity of it and all that stuff. And, you know, even the aesthetics and the, the Dion fortune, like, Oh no, not for the uninitiated, (laughs) you know, like that kind of vibe. Clutching your your pearls at Stonehenge. But it's so forbidding, you know, and it's so, um, and luckily we had Austin Osmond Spare coming out of that. Who's like, well, wait, we can actually all fuck with this. And then the whole, uh, you know, chaos magic yep. trajectory from there that we obviously Genesis is and, and yep. sleazy and all the, yep. the throbbing gristle psychic TV, uh, coil. This is how I got into magic, yep. you know, through yep. current 93 and all these musicians that I loved and, and stuff. So we, we had that current of course, that came out of it being like, no, let's make this, 
let's make this household stuff. Let's make this available to anybody and experiment with edge lording, as it were, maybe like ex- experimenting with like expanding the limits of consciousness, expanding the technologies of magic. They, yeah. they need not be exclusive to uh, chalices and sashes and things like this. Um, but uh, do you remember, do you, and, you must know the, the Ramsey Dukes's idea of the OTTT. No, I do not. So you'll you'll love this. You'll I forget which book this is in. You're you're gonna get a kick out of this. So so Ramsey Dukes, who's obviously one just one of the formative intellects of chaos magic in the 70s, said, you know, the original idea of chaos magic is oh, well, you don't need all this stuff. You can simplify it. So it's like you you don't really need like a silver chalice. I mean, you can just use like a like a you know, paper cup, right? You know, it's still water. And Ramsey Duke said, it's like, well, yes, I mean, you can make things less elaborate and less uh, florid. But, you know, hey, if we're breaking the rules here, why not make them more elaborate and more florid? Oh, and, fuck yeah. and he was saying, yeah. So, so yeah, his idea was the OTTT, which is the over the top order. And he was saying, it's like, instead of having a silver chalice or a paper cup, why not, you know, your magical cup should be, you know, the skull of a Tibetan that you personally raided from a 14th century monastery while fighting off, you know, Maoist troops. You know, it's like, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. Oh yeah, me too. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all about, you know, like, uh, like, you know, stripping off my clothes, wrapping myself in like a lion skin and like stuffing a you partridge got a skin, with bro? all these like fruits sacred to Venus and like eating it with my bare hands or whatever. Like, I, like, honestly, this is, I really, this is a real, this is any like, given Saturday for you. Do you, you, you actually have a lion skin? I do heart- not have a lion skin, but <laughs> you yeah. shouldn't, shouldn't admit to it <laughs> but, if you do, but, but, uh, but, yeah. but you know what I mean? Something kind of resembling one, maybe, but, but, uh, but the thing is, is Le- that Le- leopard I, print spandex. Yeah. I do think that that's, Oh, I definitely have used a lot of leopard print spandex in my <laughs> magical career. That is no joke. Okay. But, um, um, uh, but I think that, that stuff does make your magic more powerful, right? The more stuff you throw on, if that's your sensibility. I mean, I'm kind of a theatrical person, so I like that kind of stuff. You know, I, well, you got to get your, you got to get your vibe right, and putting yeah. effort into it is important, right? Yeah. And you, you know, you, whatever's going to focus your mind, if that's aesthetics and that's pageantry and that's food or whatever it is, then then use that stuff. But if not, you know, there's also been a tremendous current right now with. Uh, uh, the Greek magical papyri, yeah. which is, which is, you know, really old, really like street magic. You know, my friend, Chris Rapucci, uh, he's an astrologer and a very good, uh, knows a lot about, uh, the lunar Zodiac and the kind of magic involved there. And he's got some really interesting ideas on this stuff. And, you know, the, the Greek magical papyri is much more, you know, working with spirits that the golden dawn might've called, devilish or whatever because they're more connected to nature and they're more connected to the biological and animal realms you know and that was kind of looked at as i think unholy in edwardian england or something but then the greek magical papyri you've got all this stuff and and there's one spell in there that's pretty famous it's called wine you are not wine and that means that you can convert uh, pretty much anything into whatever you need for a magical ritual or not, you know, like this, uh, this grapefruit soda, I could be like grapefruit soda. You are not grapefruit soda. You are the, uh, you know, you are the, the, 
nectar from the teats of Isis who <laughs> whatever. Right. And so, yeah, um, no, I think you know, that, that, that idea that you just um, put out there, I mean, that really does cut to the core of what magic is, which is using, you know, I really think that magic at its core is, I mean, I don't really follow any, any recipe books anymore. I mean, I, I think that magic at its core is um, consciously changing the meaning of things. You know, it's like, it's like, because you, you have to realize, particularly psych, psychedelic experience, which I don't think is core to anything. It just, I'm just, as a, I'm just bringing up as a frame of reference because people are way too over enthusiastic about psychedelics these days. But, um, that, you know, particularly something like LSD shows you that everything in your perceptual field is largely an arbitrary construction that you've layered meaning on top of. And magic is, and it, but it's arbitrary and, and magic just like what you said, it's like magic is the conscious is like Adam name, naming things in the garden of Eden. It's like magic is the conscious recontextualizing a meaning of things, whether it's a, at the very, as you know, as, as an astrologer at the most, you know, a uh, uh, surface level or not surface, but the most, um, the, 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 perhaps the most useful level is recontextualizing events in your life as, mm. as re recontextualizing things that happen to you. The most basic and the most healing magical act is taking something that's happened to you in your life and telling yourself a story about it. That's not a lie, but that turns it into something that was, it, it changes it from you being victimized by a random event to something that was supposed to happen to move you along in your path. Right. right? Like that right. everyone does that naturally. That's the most core act of magic. It's like, Oh, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, a car hit me and I couldn't walk for six months, but Hey, but actually that had to, that was the best thing that could have had. You hear people say this all the time. It's like, that's the all best the thing time. that could have happened to me because otherwise, uh, you know, I would have ended up, you know, working in this job that would have been terrible for me or whatever it happens to be. You, you know what I'm saying? So that's what magic oh, yeah. really is. I think when you really, and then I, for in, in my way of thinking, it's like magic is about I mean, it's just the technology of your, your, it's, it's, it's changing and photoshopping what's going on in your brain. Right. But in a, in a non grandiose way, perhaps saying it's, it's, it's chain, it's, it's consciously reattributing new meanings to things in life to make it in, in accord with will. Or another way of saying that is if you have a goal in life, anything that happens to you, um, or, or any physical thing, I mean, it's like, you can change the meaning of it to support that so that it's not if you, if you understand my gist, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, I think, I think that's the core of alchemy, right? Is, is tr transmutation of, of, you know, shit into gold or whatever it is, or lead into gold. I think that that's, that's a, a core alchemical principle, of course. And it's also a core uh, magic principle, right? Of, uh, sorry, chaos magic principle of, of, uh, you know, reorganizing and reconfiguring uh, reality in a way. But then also, you know, as you know, because I wrote about it in Generation Hex, like psychedelics were a huge uh, initiatory tool for me in my youth, you know, where, that was like, I don't know, that was like the Lewis Carroll moment for me where I was like, all right, I know what team I'm yes. on now. You yeah. know what I mean? And I like, agree with and, you 100%. Um, and uh, one thing that it really made me realize uh, from the first time I ever did acid, I was, you know, 15 years old in Miami and I, like everything felt alive. Everything felt as though it was breathing. And this, I think, is another um, um, 
uh, area of alchemy and magic, right? It, yes, there is the reorganization and there is the transmutation and, and all that stuff, but there also is a discourse and an intercourse with a living, breathing organism that is life. That's a great right? point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is reality, you know, and that, and that there are spiritual entities around us all the time. And there, there are, you know, there are spiritual, um, uh, intelligences in every, uh, tree or stone or star. Right. So, so that this is, is part of it too, I think is, is kind of a, uh, another form of conjunctio in alchemical parlance, I guess you'd say is, is this merging with life in a way that is, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe erotic or maybe psychic or maybe something, but, but it's that feeling, you know, like, uh, sometimes I remember being young, not even on drugs. And I, I would look at a piece of architecture in New York city and just be like, oh, how do I make that mine? I just want to not, I don't want to own it. I want to make love to it. Like I, I want to, I want to absorb it somehow. And, and that's something um, I think that both magic and um, psychedelics are a, a big bridge into is that kind of um, a, again, animist, I think, uh, window into the nature of things. Yeah, I, I I fully agree with you, and I think that that those types of experiences that you're talking about really are what separates, uh, what begins to make a real a, a lifelong magician, right? Rather than somebody who's just trying a few techniques. I mean, once you get into that conversation, then then th then it becomes your life, and not just something that you're reading about. And I I think we both have the experience of that we were doing magic before psychedelics, right? And uh, that's rare. And I think that in my case, I was doing magic for like three years before I tripped first trip for the first time when I was 21 and uh, on mushrooms. And that's when everything clicked. It was like, oh, like all of a sudden, all the dots just suddenly connected and I could see the magic eye picture and I could understand what suddenly everything was recontextualized. And it's like, yeah, like the car got turned on. That said, the, the reason I was saying that psychedelics are overemphasized is because I meant that culturally right now where people are very psychedelics have become another consumer product you know they've become oh yeah micro do, micro dose to work better at your job and people there's so many um you know they've just become mass there's mass awareness of psychedelics which is good but at the same time it's like oh like you know like oh yeah i'm going down to do ayahuasca to get the idea for my next app you know and it's like it's like everyone's talking about psychedelics as if psychedelics were the be all end all as opposed to what you're talking about, which is they're a gateway to a whole world. And in my way of thinking, um, psychedelics may start the car, but magic is what is the language. Magic is the framework and language for dealing with that experience productively. Right. And at a certain, at a certain point, you don't need the psychedelics either. It's like, you know, as you know, with like astral work, you can do, you can set up a ritual, do the ritual, have a 10 minute astral experience, turn it off and you're done. And you're not, you're still, you're sober the whole time. And as opposed to with psychedelics where you're sitting there for seven hours waiting for the damn trip to end at a certain point. And, um, so, um, but you know, it's no secret that those things go hand in hand. I just, my, my point is that when people think that psychedelics are the destination themselves, instead of just another tool in a huge toolbox of things that are available to people, um, then 
they just become druggies. So, you know. Right. But but it is kind of cool though that like soccer moms are going to go do ayahuasca is, and yeah, it's, you know, it's, in it's the, much in needed. the jungles. You know, it's also like like I mean, mushrooms are alive, ayahuasca is alive. <laughs> you know, these 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 plants are also entities. These plants are also spiritual uh uh you might call them gods if you want to, right? Or, or something. Elementals, certainly, right? Right, right. Yeah. So if that's the way that they're going to creep into consciousness at a time where they're needed, is is getting you know soccer moms to go down to uh, the Amazon, then then so be it, right? As long as, yeah. as long as as long as we're as long as we're moving as long as we're moving towards something more high minded, you know what I mean? And it's and and something more. Um, uh, integrated, you know, I think, I think that it's, that it's okay. You know, you could say the same thing about astrology, right? Astrology is a consumer product, but that's, but at the end of the day, good, you know, because, because, and, you know, obviously I disagree with a lot of representations of astrology that are on social media or stuff like that. And I think that they're, you know, that they're not good, (laughs) or whatever i I don't think that it's sound astrology that we see a lot of times well i've always been of the mindset even back in the generation hex days i mean it's like i've always been of the mindset that what you want to do is open the floodgates and let it go out into the marketplace because what's going to happen is is what we've successfully seen happen right which is you remember i'm sure very well the 80s when it was the satanic panic and right. people could, I mean, Damien Eccles did go to death row, right? But people mm-hmm. could, you know, people had their jobs destroyed, their livelihoods destroyed. They were accused of all this, you know, you remember all the stuff with the Temple of Set and all of that. I mean, it's people like throwing out these accusations and things like that. So, um, you know, that was, you know, you hear stories from Zena LaVey where she's like having to black out their windows and she, as a little girl and like hiding, never walking by a window in case she gets shot. You know, like that was real. And and I remember it very well because I grew up during that period and, and as did you. And I think that um, what you want, you want the stuff out into the marketplace. So the taboo that you do lose magical potency when something is released from the hermetic seal. You do. Absolutely. You lose potency when the taboo is lifted. But uh, and there's going to be tons of tacky expressions in the open marketplace, but it provides safety in numbers to be quite frank. And it it provides, it provides a space for people who are really serious, which we're seeing more and more of now, as there's more real estate for it, people who are really serious in, in doing some actual work in, in advancing the science of metaphysics, whatever you want to call it, we're doing who are very sincere. It it provides the fertile ground for those people to emerge from because they have an audience also to be perfectly frank, because now everyone's into it. Yeah, and it provides a springboard for the, for uh, getting into the depths of it later if you choose to, right? You know, at least you're going to be accessible to it, you know? I mean, you know what? When I was in the fifth grade, I was listening to, like, Paul Abdul, and then, like, later I got in, like, Nurse with Wound later or something, right? But but it's like... Was there needed... a direct line between those two? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, LSD, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Paul but, Abdul but was the, the gateway drug for Nurse, uh, nurse with Wound. Yeah, but the but you know what I mean. It's it's like you you segue into stuff. Although Paula you know? Abdul is fucking great, though. I mean, I still listen to that sometimes. I don't. I definitely don't listen to Paula Abdul. At home. Not even Rush. Uh, Rush was so good. Uh, I, I but but you know I. My point is is that you need 
you need a taste of something. And it's true that, that the fact that it's mass, uh, that it's widely available and that people are really turning to it and that people are really understanding how powerful it is, is kind of awesome. I mean, I never, I never said to myself, oh, I would like to be a professional astrologer. It just happened, you know, because I, I read tarot cards for so long for people that they started, they'd come over for tarot. And I'm like, well, actually you're going to get astrology first. Then we're going to do tarot because they speak the same language. And, and I'm going to integrate them in a, with a more educated purview, because I know you're, you're basically tarot DNA first by analyzing your astrology chart. And then we can have more of a, a nuanced uh, divination, right. Or, or one that's more interactive and one that you've been walked through. Um, and people just kept coming, <laughs> you know what I mean? Until next thing I knew it was what I was doing all the time. And that's when I was like, I'm going to get as good as this as humanly possible, you know, well also because it is so magical and it is so powerful and it is so great. So I, I do, of course, love that so many people are turning to astrology right now and realizing how sacred it is and realizing that no human civilization has ever ignored the celestial patterns, you know, and, and uh, celestial timing and all of our architecture as humans, all of our architecture, all of our ritual, all of our mythology is based on this. How can we, we, there's no escaping it, right? It's so ingrained in our body and our philosophy and our uh, sanctity that it's something that, that I think people are realizing that there's something there. And I don't, listen, man, if someone doesn't believe in astrology, I completely respect that. I'm like, look, there's no reason why you should. It's fucking ridiculous. I don't know why it works. I don't know. I, I can't, I can't explain, you know, I think any good astrologer has moments that they look at themselves and be like, I must be insane. This cannot be real. Why is this real? I mean, sometimes it's terrifying, you know, and, and, um, but the more you engage and and the more you, slip in it's just fascinating and remarkable and sometimes even terrifying uh what it can do and what it does do um and it, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that and i'm grateful that people are getting so much out of it and are are uh looking to things like astrology or psychedelics or whatever else to to get themselves out of a rut. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. Um, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm curious, uh, cause I go back and forth on these things also. Um, or, or actually I don't go back and forth. I'm pretty reductive, but, uh, without saying that, let me ask you. So when you think about astrology and really this applies to particularly any divination system, tarot, runes, eaching, whatever, right. But particularly tarot. Um, do you think that like when you're doing an astrological reading, do you think that there is literally like that there is actually a science of there are meanings that are just set and that and that are in that matrix that stellar matrix right that you're you're you know you're just you're just explaining the meaning of what you're seeing to the person and they're really the meaning is is there separate from you or do you feel that um the symbol set of astrology allows you kind of a social space to step out of get out of your own way and step out of yourself for long enough to communicate with that other person without a you know to uh, allow 
kind of unconscious wisdom to emerge and allow the meaning to emerge from that situation that needs to be said, if you understand what I'm saying. Yes, I think that both of those things are true. And I think that they inform each other. I think the more proficient you are in uh, astrology and astrological techniques and uh, or uh, tarot symbolism for that matter, or uh, lore of uh, tarot and stuff like that, uh, the better equipped you are to release yourself into that space where um, uh, where uh, intuition and random chance and other things like that can take part. But I, but it's, it's just, you know, it's like learning an instrument or learning any art or skill. You do have to know the skills and you do have to know the history and you do have to know the theoretical uh, uh, framework. However, it is something that is alive. You know, it's something that that does have a, a consciousness of its own, and it does have a um, uh, layers and layers of of meaning and interpretation and um, significance that oftentimes you know overlap. I mean, as a Kabbalist, I'm sure you understand this, right? How you know almost. Uh, every sphere on the tree of life is complete in and of itself and contains all of its contradictions and contains all of its everything and contains all the other spheres within itself. Right. So um, astrology and tarot are, are, I mean, for me, Kabbalah was really the, the still probably is the, the foundation of my understanding of astrology. Right. And, and my astrology and my understanding of tarot. Yeah. Uh, me too. It, it's, yeah. It's a way of, I think, arranging and organizing symbolism, you know? I mean, sometimes people will come to me and, and they'll think that I'm a psychic. And I'm like, I'm not a psychic. I'm, I would call myself more of a computer, you know, because I'm, I'm able to, my mind is able to, it's because of the training in Kabbalah, really. Um, that, that, that the mind is able to kind of like bounce back and forth between so many correspondences and so many lenses of symbolism that, that are able to combine into a solid, uh, uh, column of information or a solid, you know, and of course it's also a discourse with whoever I'm, I'm, I'm engaging with, but, um, but, uh, I wouldn't say that they are, uh, dead codified uh not alive monoliths of meaning right the, the 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 symbols of astrology or the symbols of the tarot i'd say that they're very much alive and dynamic but the more that we learn about their historical meaning and their context and their different techniques of accessing and using them the more we're able to apply artistry and engagement to that process yeah so, absolutely so it's both yeah i think that you know particularly with kabbalah and things like this but really like a symbol a symbol that is eternal is this is i think really important for people to understand like a symbol let's take things like for instance the zodiac signs right those are symbols that have been with us since the dawn of human history and will be with us till the end of humanity most likely and i think that um uh you know, short of civil nuclear war, but probably even then. And I think that um, you could probably, but you could still rediscover the constellations. So they'll always be there. And I think that what makes a symbol a good, what makes a symbol eternal is not that it has a fixed meaning that has stayed consistent for thousands of years. It's that so much meaning can be applied to it in, in a, in a 
thermoplastic way in the sense that, you know, a symbol and Crowley, you know, like Crowley talks about this in book four, where he says that, you know, the cabal is a filing cabinet. And I think the computer uh, metaphor is so good. I mean, the, the spheres yep. are folders on your desktop and it's like, you you know, so the concept of Gabura or let's just say, let's just take, let's just as simple like Mars, right? A planetary symbol. You can, with one symbol, symbolize an almost infinite spectrum of things that yep. yet all somehow have the same inner meaning, right? Whether it's the planet Mars, red, Aries, aggression, war, AR-15s, you know, it's like, it's all there, right? And I think that, um, setting boundaries with people, you know what I mean? And, and I think that the, um, the Kabbalah, at least in my mind is perfect. I don't like a lot of times people try to change it. You had like Frater Akkad tried to do his version of it or, you know, people still will try to come up with new versions of it. But I think possibly with the exception of the swap in the book of the law of Zadi, which does make sense to me. Um, I think it's essentially a perfect structure and and the thing that is perfect about it is not that it's a as you're saying it's alive it's not that it's a dead it's not even a philosophy really it's not a dead system it's just that you can fit in that pattern literally the entire universe of human meaning right mm -hmm. and and because we are by our nature animals that that um we we are the time binding animal right you know like our our, our fundamental activity that we do as human beings is to um to fix time by setting events into symbols even if it's just written language and that seems to be what we do right we control time by symbolizing it and the kabbalah allows you to it just like you said where you feel like you're a computer it's you know somebody comes to somebody who knows that it's like it's not that they have some type of supernatural talent it's just that they have the map you know, and they yeah. know the map and they can fluidly move around the map. And so, well, some people do, you know, have psychic ability sure. and, and, sure. and are uh, a lot of ease with communicating with spirits and stuff like that. And, and, um, you know, we all have our different systems, I think, in, in working with this stuff. And we also have all of our different strengths and weaknesses, right? Different astrologers, different uh, tarot readers and stuff like that. Like, we're like, oh, I'm really good at, at one kind of, uh, this is my method. And, you know, if, if you computer... <laughs> If you transform yourself into enough of a computer, your mind fries so much that things just start flying out of you. Who, that, who are that you? Who, do you think, who are you talking to, Mickey? Come on, I, I've never yeah. done such a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're not you. You know, they're something else, and and uh, it's it's just so. I never will get sick of it. Yeah. I'll never get sick of it. I'll, but, I'll never have read too many books on any of it. You know, I'll, I'll never have read too many books on Kabbalah or Tara or astrology or listen to too many podcasts. I, I'm it's constantly, you're just, it's the more data you have, the more rich, I think it all becomes, you know, and also the more experiences you have too. Yes. That's, yes, that's a, that's a big one. And you just, know, like, like, just life, life experience, you know, because Kabbalah is the tree of life or the book of nature. Yep. Right. And it's like, if you've, if you're 17, you haven't had a life yet. 
right? But if you're 40 or, you know, as, as they said, you're supposed to be before you practice Kabbalah. So, hey, uh, by the end of this year, I can officially practice Kabbalah. Um, but, uh, you know, if you if you have had enough of a life to understand that you've explored it, you've lived it, you've had not not in the sense of like, oh, you don't have a life, but like literally you've lived so that you've you've taken the trip to a certain extent at the, at that point, right? Like you have, you understand what the texture of life is when you're out in the world. And, and I think that, so as you just mature, the, the, the tree of life makes more sense. And so does the tarot, you know, because like our lives, those deck, those cards are shuffled every single day of our lives. So you understand what the 10 of cups means in such a deep way, you know, like, and, and how, Maybe you have it or you don't, you know, it's like, or the, or any of these things. And, and you understand, you understand better put is you understand what the symbol is referring to rather than thinking the symbol is something important in and of itself, which is the biggest mistake in magic. I always say that to people. It's like, what are the dangers of magic? There's really only one, which is mistaking the symbol for the reality uh, and thinking there's something inherently special about the symbol. The symbol is just a reference point to a vast um, uh, you know, a vast chunk of human experience and, and not even in a union way, like, oh, archetypes. It's like, no, I mean, it, human, just raw human experience. And I think that, but the other thing that I think the number one way to learn Kabbalah is pathworking, right? Which in and of itself is, it's just virtual reality. I mean, the astral is just VR, internal VR, but, you know, actually doing the pathworkings through the, the spheres and the paths, that's when, what you're saying where like all of everything you've learned just snaps into place and you get it right it's like you right. understand what that is yeah i mean but you never get it with like a capital g right because that like like is that for a example, masonic the, reference the, i know i know sorry but but the the ten of cups for example it's like i'm gonna that is a symbol that will continue to unfold for me until i die yeah. right the ten of cups is always going to be revealing itself to me forever right that the last decan of pisces that's represented by the ten of cups i mean that's the ultimate right that's the big wagnerian sacrifice at the end of the zodiac that's something that i'll never i mean maybe you know after lifetimes that symbol just contains so much within it right however and then you know the more times that i experience astrological transits of of the ten of cups right or the more times i i see it come up in readings and certain synchronous around it or, or this the, the more i experience different planetary configurations either in my own life or in the lives of others or in the uh um events in the, <laughs> other people's lives that that i see occur through different planetary configurations and you know the more i engage with spirits of a given anything right a given planet a given sphere a given time of day uh the more informed i am of the tactile and real the better glimpse i have into what a kabbalistic idea can mean and that's you know that's what path working is you're exposed to uh yeah astral entities right you're exposed to to visions and beings and associations and colors and all of the uh the universe i suppose of, of a given sector of of the tree and then you can draw parallels you know this is one reason too why i'm glad i stuck with the crowley the thoth deck you know the crowley harris deck mm -hmm. in tarot yep because i i really think that the colors 
And, um, and you know, I don't, I'm not dogmatic at all. Right. I, I think there are many great tarot decks out there and, you know, I love the writer way. I never shut up about it. And I love the Marseille and I love all this stuff. I think they're beautiful and, you know, but for me personally, you know, there's something about the colors in that deck and, and what they trigger. And, um, uh, I've had the same felt deck, I think since 2003. So it's, it's, it's going on. What, what is that? I mean, 18 years or something. Yeah. I just found my felt deck that I, I, it's actually a German deck that I bought in Munich and then I carried through Nepal and I was giving, I was giving tarot readings in Nepal and people were asking me things like, should I jump the border to, you know, my brother has just jumped bail that I paid for and gone to Bhutan. Should I cross over into Bhutan and kill him? It's like, <laughs> try, try that for like, it's like, uh, let's see, where can I get out of these cards that you should not? But um, I think the three decks that you just mentioned, the Marseille, the Rider Waite, and the Rider Waite, <laughs> Rider Waite, Rider Waite, and the uh, Thoth Tarot are the only three decks in my, I mean, those are the decks. And in my mind, the Thoth is bar none, the deck. It is the best one, but it's not for beginners. You got to start with Rider Waite. And the Marseille deck is interesting also to go kind of like, you know, r- retro, but the, um, the Thoth deck is, is the best there's no competition there's no competition it's the only astrologically correct one also right yeah i I think you would agree with that rider Waite smith i mean you know pamela coleman smith yes thank you yeah yeah Uh, yeah yeah, that's important and uh uh, lady frida harris the the, the paintings on the yeah yeah, the uh, in the filth deck is is so mind-blowing and then but that's the thing i mean dude it's it's all data you know because then you look then you read hodorowsky's book on the terror of marseille and you're like holy fuck yeah it's like you know how the death card has the tetragrammaton painted in the back of its skull and you're like i'm gonna die right now damn you know it's just like it's so did you ever look at spares deck that they they resurrected recently there's a book I, about it it's fulgur or somebody like that put out or was it maybe yeah. somebody else i thought maybe it was strange attractor i oh, don't probably. know yeah 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 Mark. yeah yeah I, I never got a ch- i still haven't looked at that i'm so because we're living in this golden age of occultism and it's so too many much. rad yeah. books are it's coming out much. and they're and all so many freaking $500 each. <laughs> yeah. So many people are doing such great work with stuff. It's like, I'm, I'm a little behind the game. Oh, and I meant to say this earlier and I forgot to retract back on it. Damien Eccles. And I think that the work that he's doing with making hermetic magic accessible and angel magic, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. you know, That's and, and he's breathing so much life into it. And he has such beautiful things to say about astrology and angel magic and all the stuff he works with that i, I just i mean it's, yeah he's doing good work particularly in the wider culture and, and oh, yeah. as an ambassador you know and and yeah absolutely it's really it's a really exciting time and i think that let me ask you one more question about astrology though because i'm curious about this do you feel that there's a forgive me but there's a bit of there seems to be that there's a bit of a bell curve with astrology where in the sense that you know, at the low end, you have people saying like, well, my assigned says, says it's by, you know, I'm a Sagittarius and it says in the newspaper that, you know, I'm going to have a bad day today or something like that. You know, there's kind of like the super superstitious level of it, but there's also, and then in the middle, you get the vast, you know, swath of normies who are saying like, oh, there's no science, you know, astrology was long ago disproven, like how, you know, that's just ridiculous. And like, what do you like believe dragons are real and like, you know, going all Neil deGrasse Tyson mode. And then 
particularly like you were talking about the Greek magical papyri, you know, you, you have people like Stephen Skinner, uh, who are, you know, has talked so much about like Prince Charles wrote the introduction to one of his books on feng shui. It's like, and so my sense is, and I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this, that there's kind of like this sense just socially speaking, and maybe this has always been the case that astrology is something for like the peasants, like, you know, for uneducated people. And then the supposedly intelligent middle classes are just like, oh, get out, you know, that's ridiculous. But then you have people who are at the heights of royalty and business and like super like unbelievably powerful people are very, very into it. Would you oh, say yeah, that's a, sure. you th- you'd say that's true? Well, I mean, I think it was, uh, I believe it was JP Morgan who said millionaires don't use astrology billionaires. You know do. what they used to call them in the press? I just found this out this week, actually. <laughs> Jupiter P Morgan. His nickname was Jupiter. Jupiter that's Pierce hilarious. Morgan, I, right? When, sometimes yeah. when I talk about Jupiter, I call him JP Morgan, Joseph Campbell. Cause I, I, it's, it's almost this, you know, this gilded age kind of energy. That Jupiter. He He's like the perfect. Yeah, re- yeah they, they, that was in the. I watched the John Milius movie, The Wind and the Lion, and they they referenced that. And then I looked it up, and lo and behold, they used to call him Jupiter, Jupiter Morgan. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that it was J.P. Morgan who said that. You know, well, and also his. I mean, come on, in in antiquity, in or late antiquity in Alexandria, it was in a lot of ways, only the patrician classes that were using astrology as we know it now. And, you know, the, the, the solar zodiac with all of its hierarchical meanings of kings and peasants and all this stuff. And, you know, and then, of course, uh, you know, it was it, the folk magic was discredited. You know, if, if, if a peasant was looking at the sky to, to find his place in the world, like, oh, that, that wasn't really astrology. That was folk superstition or something. And I think right now we're seeing a, a, a cohesion of those two extremes, right? That it's no longer, like I said earlier with the Picatrix, right? It's no longer this like, because you know, I mean, the Borgia and the Sforza and all those people, when you go to the, there's a wonderful book, Mary Quinlan McGrath, it's called um, uh, Influences. And it's it's about how astrological magic was used in the building of every palazzo of, in Renaissance Italy, right? All over the place. Like if if the the ruler of the ascendant of that particular prince was on the rising, then they would let the spades hit the ground and start digging, right? To build the castle. They, the, the castle had to have an astrological birth chart that was specifically timed. And, you know, Washington, D.C. Was, was built this way. All the buildings were inaugurated with very specific astrological charts. So it's always been a patrician thing. And then at the same time, it's also been a, 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 a folk thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, um, you know, in, uh, for example, in, 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 in Cuban culture, you know, and the, the way I grew up, you know, we had Walter Mercado on in our house all the time. You know, we had that yeah, kind of stuff. Not to interrupt, and, but I do say that in a perfect world, I would have loved to see the episode of Time Lord with uh, Walter Mercado on it because oh, that would have been I, fucking perfect. I just would have died. And my great aunt Cookie was really good friends with him too. And I tried to get, and she, I, I got his phone number from her and his oh. assistant picked up and he never called me back. Oh, I no. wanted to make a, yeah, I wanted to make a movie about him because I'm like, the thing about Walter is, you know, and I was talking to my friend Sophia about this uh, last night. She's also Cuban and older, you know, like 
the culture I grew up in was pretty homophobic, you know, and it, and it was also anti-magic. So the fact that somebody like Walter Mercado with all of his like regalia and his Liberace flamboyance and his occultism telling you what to put in your bath on the full moon and shit, you could not disrespect that. He was yeah. so respected hard. and yeah. so ad- adored, you know, and because Walter Mercado, he had something that Damien Eccles, I think also has, which is something that's like, this person has a, a grace and a humility that, you know, that they have seen holiness, you know? And, um, and that is, um, and also an elegance and a radiance. You know, these people are fantastic. Yeah, but, I think but, Walter is one of those masters, you know, those hidden in plain sight masters, you know, because yep. like, man, you got to be a tough, tough being to pull something like that off. And, you know, Jen used to call that <sighs> dazzle camouflage, where you're so flamboyant that people just overlook you. It's yeah. another way of being yeah. in plain sight. Yeah he had a force field around him or something because you just couldn't fuck with him. It was so, so beautiful. And, you know, so I think exactly is what you're saying is that magic and astrology and things like this have always been considered either very lowbrow or very highbrow. And now is where those things are kind of, uh, uh, coalescing, you know, I, I think, I think that a lot of culture is that way. We have technology that's only available for elites in one sense and then filters into society. And then, you know, we have, uh, uh, cultural things such as music. That's, that's for some disenfranchised, uh, sector of society that all of a sudden seeps into the mainstream and becomes all the rage. There's, there's nothing new about this. I mean, that's what bohemianism kind of is, right? Only, only the very high and the very low, because what is, because what is in the mean and what is in the interim is, is commonplace and, and, you know, bourgeois and tacky. So, but at the same time, it's, we're at a point right now that I think these kind of class delineations around magic and astrology are starting to erode and Hmm. that it really is starting to, in its way and in its time make its way into popular consciousness in hopefully a healthy way yeah and i think we're both part of that and and a lot of people are and it's a group effort and it's really exciting and i think you know you know that really the point of jen's work so much and and this was you know i wrote this and jen agreed with it is just that was basically to rest to yank magic out of the grasp of, and I do use that as a pun because it is Jen, but yank it out of the grasp of um, the the English, the British ruling class mm. and give it to the working class. And, and that is so much the, uh, the trajectory that I've continued in my work having grown up with Jen, you know, it's just like, and, and started with Jen, which is like the whole point of magic.me is like, you know, and that was the same thing that people were saying in the nineties though, you know, it's just like, get this out to everybody. And we have now. And, and so I think we need to keep pushing and professionalizing it and getting, getting it more and more, um, advanced at this point, I think, because I also think that like you were talking about technology, which I thought was really interesting, which is, and by the way, I agree with you, you know, it's interesting when I was doing the research for the John D book, um, I was reading again, some of Stephen Skinner stuff and Stephen Skinner points out that people were doing Enochian and angel magic uh, all the way from D to the golden dawn, but it was just the super aristocratic elite and they were doing it in secret. It was only for the, only for the the you know the the gentry you know it was only for the aristocrats and it was it wasn't allowed no one else was allowed to have it and so that's obviously you know so much the 
um, you know, unless you're a traditionalist or something, so much of the, the thrust of society is democratization to an access. And um, because as you and I both know, you know, magic is hard enough. People should at least have access to even like, and now we have a different problem, which there's so much information available that it's hard to know where to start. And, right. and, um, you know, but people should have access to the resources in the same way that anybody can now get on the internet and give themselves a high school education very quickly. It's mm-hmm. the same, right? So we're, we want, we want the human race, I think, to, um, constantly, you know, the human race always starts from a, a low base, but we want to raise that baseline. And it's the same in, in, in our discipline, I think. And, uh, you know, there's no comparison, I think you probably agree. There's no comparison to the amount of, um, access not only to information and resources, but other people than when we started, right? Let alone prior to that. And I think definitely, yeah. And also just my, the last point I wanted to make about technology is, you know, I've said many times, you know, we live in a magic world now, whether we like it or not, we live in a world where you can get on your phone and communicate as if by crystal ball with anyone in the world in real time or have anything you want brought to your door within 24 hours. And it's just like, and you can send vibes out that could backfire on you or could make you wealthy or successful or or ruin your life, you know, just the little magic missiles you send out on the internet. And I think, yeah. that, you know, and, and the only language, ironically, we, you know, the magic, we live in a magical world now, thanks to technology is magic, it's just, but the only language we have to be able to cope with or deal with that instead of crumpling into a ball and, and, you know, trying to be, you go back, you know, the only language we have to deal with that is magic. The language of even theosophy, things like that, you know, to, to what is it like, what does it mean? And what are the ethical frameworks required for living in a world where magic is real, which technology has done that the occult tradition is right there with that, with the right answers for that, I think. For sure. Well, you mean it has the answers to the moral? Well, in the sense of what do I mean by that? It's like, so you know, it's been said before, it's like, you know, having, you know, the the person with a cell phone, a smartphone in their pocket has more power than any other human in world history. You know, it's like, and, and, um, you know, except for the very much the controllers of society, at least in terms of ability, raw capacity to do things. And they have access to more information, certainly at the touch of a button than anyone else in history, better than the library of Alexandria. And yet they're on TikTok, you know, but when you live in, that world of where magic is real, how do you handle that? And by ethics, I mean, what is the framework for being able to interact with the world? So here's an example. Um, You know, I think about this quite a lot. Do you use the infinite power of technology to pursue your true will and get all the resources you need, you know, get clear on what your true will, what your will for this life is, and then get all the uh, resources you need and the information and the education in order to fulfill that or do and then ascend to Kether, or do you stay stuck being chewed by Karanzon and Doth, which would just be endlessly scrolling TikTok or you know fighting on social media or getting lost in, in more more than just that, getting lost you know the the original meaning of Doth knowledge you know like Crowley says the world of adjectives, the world where you're accumulating endless information but it doesn't it's just it's just dust right it doesn't it doesn't um add up into anything it's just you're collecting data points another word for doth is probably data right it's just you're collecting data but you're not you're not synthesizing it first into understanding then into wisdom and finally into the crown right 
it's like it's that's the yeah. whole that's kind of well, the whole my brother idea. and i had this had this conversation recently where where he's like i don't know like should the internet be regulated kind of vibe and i'm like honestly like it has to be because you know we're at this point that like some mentally ill person can come out of the woodwork you know with an anime character as their avatar and ruin somebody's life you know and and all kinds of horrible things can be done and you know all sorts of damage is being done to our hormones and to our you know as you're saying with between doth and kether and all this kabbalistic uh uh concepts you know all sorts of stuff is is being uh all sorts of new distractions and new clefothic uh forces are being kind of hurled at us with this thing because the it, it happened so fast and it's it moved a lot faster than we could figure it out you know and and my bro- and i'm like the same way that we uh you know that there are regulations on a corporation who's spilling toxic waste everywhere and you're like sorry you can't fucking do that right that's what needs eventually it's got to happen because there's there's too much toxic waste you know the internet as one giant amoebic thing is a dangerous thing and then a couple hours later we were on a long drive my brother and i then we start listening to joe rogan uh podcast with uh elon musk on there and they said the same thing they even used the, the hmm. they even used the toxic waste metaphor. Yeah, I agree that there's a lot of toxic waste, although I respectfully disagree because I'm I'm a free speech purist and I'm an old school internet hacker dude. And I, I and this is why. I am I agree that random people and trolls being able to fuck with people online uh, is is a problem. But I am way more concerned about um, state actors and corporate actors having control over our ability to communicate. And I think that gov- oh, yeah. governments are, governments are, and corporations. And at this point, there's really no difference, uh, are far more dangerous than some guy in their parents' basement. And, and a lot of people make the argument now that, well, for instance, Twitter, Facebook are private com- companies, so they should be able to do whatever they want. Well, in theory, but the reality is that they get tons of government subsidies and they were often set up by the military or with government funding in the first place. And on the flip side, they're more powerful than governments now and they're able yep. to influence who they want in office with um, soft power, with money, and also with hard censorship of data, manipulation of search results, manipulation of social media algorithms. And I really think that the true issue of our time is not what people can say on the internet, but it's the fact that corporations have ascended up the totem pole beyond the nation state and, and that we're in there. So, you know, what, you know, so in a sense that might actually be an argument perhaps for government control of corporations, but the problem is that there's, there's just no, it's a porous boundary between the two things and there's a revolving door. And I, it's interesting that you, you mentioned also like, yeah, like these things are, are, we know these things are messing with our heads. They're messing with our hormones. And, you know, famously, you know, Silicon Valley people do not let their kids use phones and things like that because they know what they're yep. doing to them. But, but therefore, so should these companies therefore have the ability to regulate what we think and consume? If they're by definition creating a toxic product, I don't think so. And I would like to say that the government can be trusted to regulate and perhaps should and perhaps should even break up tech monopolies because now we 
The other thing is we've all to all intents and purposes lost the first amendment. When you have, I am certainly no fan of Trump, nor am I a Trump apologist, but when you just objectively look at the situation of there's a private company with the power to effectively mute the president of the most powerful country on the planet, regardless of the personalities involved, that's quite a flex. Yeah, right. no, I agree. Yeah. With, I'm I'm with you there. And I'm, I'm a proponent of free speech as well. Do you know what I mean? I don't think that, uh, I don't know, there was a thing recently, I think it was Simon and Schuster was going to publish um, uh, Mike Pence autobiography or something. And all these people were up in arms about it. And I'm like, dude, you can't s- silence that like what what kind of world would it be if we didn't let that book come out you know what i mean it's like or you're gonna fuck with simon and schuster that's i mean that's like stalin shit you know what i mean or when they censored that new york post article about hunter biden's laptop it's like it's the i mean it's not the the new york times but it's the new york post i mean it's it's an actual newspaper you can't just like scrub that off the internet yeah it's 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 sketchy for sure but honestly that's why I'm happy to be a magician because, <laughs> because it's like, that's, that's my home base. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, I've got, I've got an Instagram, but I don't have a Twitter. I don't use a Facebook unless I'm taking a class and I use it for that. But like, um, you know, cause that's, cause I believe in love and I believe in magic and like the time I spend with like the people I love, you know, and the time I spend with, uh, the magic that I do and what really excites my soul and stuff like that. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that like sexy pictures don't excite my soul because they do, but <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, they're different layers, right? There's pleasure and there's bliss, you know? So and, sexy and pictures the, is the latter. I'm sorry. So sexy pictures on the internet is the latter. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, for me, bliss is just like, nerding out about planetary magic you know what i mean i'm flying to la to to make an astrological talisman with my friend zumi and i'm just like obsessed with it the idea i was practicing my engraving earlier and then i get to interview christina Engelhardt about contacting aliens with fellini and that's that's my bread and butter you know what i mean like i like like i'm i'm grateful all the years i've known you to been just as obsessed with this stuff as I've ever been, you know, and just as in love with it and, and all that. Um, I, I feel, I feel really lucky. And I think it's a refuge. I think one of the reasons why magic is blowing up right now is, or one of the reasons, you know, the magical egregore is, 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 uh, uh, unveiling its lotus flower to us right now is because we are living in this chaotic, dark, clefothic, you know, storm. So, it's like, all right, we have something to like focus us back, you yeah. know, focus yeah. us back on our origins and our, and our, um, you know, and our powers that are, as you said before, timeless, you know, and the, our symbols that are timeless yeah. and not, not merely the, the vicissitudes of our time, you know, that's so well put and, and beautiful. And, and that's, you know, that's a hundred percent why I do what I do. And I think that, um, and it's true. It's like magic really allows you the that refuge is a great word. You know, it makes me think of the, you know, the Buddhist thing, taking refuge, the Tibetan thing. But it really is the and you take refuge refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, which extrapolated means eternal, timeless truth, um, the path and following the path and the Sangha, which is all the people that, you know, on the same path. 
right? It's like, mm. we're Sangha. It's like all the people we know. It's And the Sangha keeps getting bigger. And, and as long as it's sincere people, well, if they're not sincere, they, they can't be part of it. Not because it's exclusive, but it's just they won't have the they won't have the frequency to get in. And I think that, um, I think that, I mean, what could be better in a way, particularly at a time like this magic, no matter how, no matter how many jams I've got myself into my life or how hopeless it seemed magic's always there. And it's always been there, been there for me. And even when I felt that it wasn't me doing it. And I, I think that, and I'm sure you would agree. It's like, no matter how bad things seem, if you just sit down and do some meditation and ritual. It's like you could be right back in it. Oh yeah, and I mean, and that's that's the thing. It's like suffering. Like <laughs> I look back on all these times in my life that I've been so magically uh, <sighs> prolific, I guess. And then I, I tend to be artistically prolific around the same times, and they, they you know, magic and art kind of go hand, hand in hand for me. And um, uh, I'm like, man, what an amazing time. That was so rich. And I'm like, yeah, but I was actually suffering a lot. And that's what kind of like drove me there. Like I had a heartbreak, right? Or I had a, a tragedy or something that like forced me into this zone that I was like, I must God, take everything I have to, to like we were talking before about alchemy and sublimation, right? To at least like, like channel this into something meaningful that I know it's going towards an evolutionary purpose. And I know it's going towards something that, that is truly for my growth. Kind of like the analogy you made earlier about, you know, the car accident that happened that, that led on to somebody's success later on. Um, uh, art using magic in an artistic form has always been a way for me to feel more secure in that, you know, it, it's always given me a way to be like, okay, now I know now I have channeled this into something tangible and visible and alive. And it will always be here. It's a stamp that I've made on, on time, like you said. And, and, um, and, you know, the most beautiful things sometimes come out of, the most tormenting stuff and, and the most painful stuff. And it's not really about avoiding pain. I don't think as much as it is about um, taking, taking refuge in, in what, uh, what we can do with that pain and, and what it's, what it should be channeled toward, you know, because a lot of this stuff, a lot of the sexy pictures and all that stuff, they're, they're painkillers, you know, that, yeah. that's what we, Narcotics. that's what, yeah, that's what we do to avoid pain. Yep. And, and I think it's when we're like avoiding the pain that we run into the trouble. And, yeah. and when, when we, when we kind of like face it head on and engage with it and interact with it right like make love with it make peace with it make art with it make something with it then we've then we've done something right yeah. then we're not riding the wave anymore yeah so. the magician confronts the dragon yeah yeah i think um so yeah that always makes me think of you know the uh the viov formula crowley's viov formula i don't so this was yeah this was this was such a this is such an important concept for me. So, you know, so Crowley talks about the E-I-E-A-O-I as well. Now I'm doing the ritual. He talks about the I-A-O formula, right? So it's right. Isis, Apophis, yeah. Osiris, which, you know, and just about everyone knows in Hermetic Magic, but for those who don't mm. know, is the formula of the dying god, right? So you have Isis, who is then torn apart by Apophis, who is then, res you know, resurrected 
uh, or or Osiris. It basically means Osiris is slain and then resurrected, and it's the mm. story of Christ. It's the story of the wheat field, the wheat dying and then coming back. It's the story of the sun dying, and uh, um, it's the story of every single movie you see where the hero, you know, is you know, almost gives up and then finds the strength within themselves to triumph at the end. They, they lose everything and then are resurrected, right? So it's basically, it's the hero's journey, right? It's like the core story baked, you know, the kingmaker story, the story baked into Western civilization. And uh, it's also the male orgasmic curve, right? So obviously, and uh, hence all these ideas about agriculture and solar cycles and Patri- you know, patriarchal con- patriarchal control and all of this stuff. And then so Crowley says that in the Aeon of Horus, the Aeon of the Everborning Child, the formula is Viob, so it has a vow on either side. And long story short, what he says is, in the new Aeon, obviously the new Aeon abrogates this old idea of the necessity of suffering, right? That you're like, you're, you're, you must be crucified and resurrected and purified through suffering, and that therefore suffering is in a sense, the meaning of life and all that Jordan Peterson stuff, right? So Crowley says that you still go through, but it, it's now it's it's constantly repeating uh, and fractal in the sense that instead of going through this monolithic hero's journey, death and resurrection show, instead, you're constantly going through this con- on purpose in order to learn meaning. And so what the V's represent or the, the vowels on either side represent is your core nature, right? So the idea is, you know, from an enlightened perspective, you never change, you know, the Atman is always the same, you know, whatever that core storm center of consciousness is, whatever that is, it never actually changes. Everything else is the vicissitudes of Maya. So the idea is that, uh, like you start from the perspective of unbroken and awareness enter the IAO formula, you go through this drama, this ritual drama of which is means any life experience or anything you do a new job, a new relationship, and whatever, you know, a new artistic project, a new house, whatever it might happen to be, you go through the time cycle of it, the, you know, the thesis, antithesis and synthesis. And then you come out on the other end of it. And because you're coming from enlightened consciousness, nothing's changed. You understand that you're the same Atman, you're the same core enlightened consciousness that you were going into it. So you haven't become spiritually dignified through this process. You haven't like attained some new spiritual state because you were always the same consciousness, but you've just done this in order to learn something or express something to yourself. And he says that the whole point of the Aeon of Horus is that since you're the ever gr- ever growing child, instead of the dying and resurrected God, resurrected God, you're just going through these experiences over and over again to like have more fun. To, it's like playing with toys to have more fun experiences to like learn more about yourself to just grow. And, and I think that's such a beautiful concept and 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 such a so important for people to understand. In a sense, that is the formula of the new Aeon or a real key to it. And without that, you without that understand, then life becomes play. Because you understand that you can't change your fundamental spiritual state. You're just awareness. And but you know, you could apply it to multiple lifetimes, whatever you want to apply it to. So it's just this, as Crowley puts it, the formula of the Aeon of Horus is the jet turbine compared to the, you know, the the Model T or something like that. And it's like, yeah, you're just like playing at play with the universe, doing going through all these experiences, and you don't really change, nothing ever changes. And that takes out the that that core awareness. That could be Vedic awareness, it doesn't have to be Thelemic. Buddhist Zogchan might say the same thing, but it, it takes the, the, the heavy, like, like the heavy, uh, 
importance of your life experiences out. It takes the weight out. It takes the the or the Jordan Peterson, like everything is suffering out and just turns it into like, yeah, like I'm doing this for fun. You know, it's like endlessly entertaining experiences or Lila, right? Yeah. Or I'm doing it for opera. Like we were saying earlier, like drama, the drama of life yeah. like with a capital D. It's like no one's going to buy tickets to the movie if there's no heartbreak, if there's no conflict, if there's no tragedy. You know, it's like that's what we we love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Capital it's D. Like, we, the capital D. Yeah. It's like we love it, you know, because because that's what that's what's worth writing about. You know, like that's that's what's worth telling a story about is some kind of trial you know mm -hmm. and and it's all over astrology the sun rises and sets the moon waxes and wanes every single planet has its you know uh, conjunction with the sun where it is burned in in the, the that cru solar crucible and then reborn in a new phase of its cycle you know so so um uh this is yeah it's it's all it's all part of life you know absolutely and it's yeah. not just that it's worth representing through art. It's just that it's worth living. It's fun to live, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, e even when it's not fun, like, it's a, like at least it happened to you, you know? Like, at least... <laughs> yeah, at least you're... Every day above ground's a good day, Mickey. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Okay, well, let me ask you a couple questions. One is, if people want to get... I feel behind now on astrology. Damn, you just laid some, mm. you just laid some knowledge down. So... If people want to learn more about astrology from a real precise angle and a way that they can really begin to apply it to their life and uh, not necessarily to become professional astrologers, but to really get a handle on it, what, what, what resources would you recommend to them? Um, I'm a big fan of Demetra George and her books on astrology. I think that they're really good textbooks. Uh, I think that Chris Brennan's book, Hellenistic Astrology, is a really great way to start. And I think that uh, Chris Brennan's Astrology Podcast is a really wonderful resource uh, for people. Uh, my teacher's on it once a month. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really... Uh, but as far as books, you know, and uh, that aren't too heady, uh, I don't know if that's been written yet, really. Do you know the, 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 the book to really get started on? I mean, the best thing to do is really to see a good astrologer, I think. But, but the work of Demetra George and Chris Brennan and the stuff he's doing on his podcast, I think, are a really great, uh, a really great place to start. I will I will just throw in the absolute best book I ever read about astrology. I swear and I'm this isn't a wind up. The best book I ever read was The Idiot's Guide to Astrology. It was oh, really? really good. Same with Hindu. You can learn a lot from I love those books. Yeah, I learned a lot, yeah. lot, lot, lot from that. But there's been a lot of innovations in astrology in the past 20 years. And when I say innovations, I mean uh you know, ancient material that's been uncovered and and that's really made astrology become much more sophisticated and much more thorough and i would say much more practical to our daily lives and not just our psychological condition so um uh, as far as what's really going on now um i don't know if that idiot book would be relevant anymore okay <laughs> okay okay fair enough i'm a noob but 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 it can't hurt. Look, anything that you anything that you get your hands on. I'm a firm believer that books are like angels. They come into your life when you need them. Aww. They come in, they come into your life when you're ready for them. You know, and 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 that's where you go. And 
Uh, also, 36 Faces, the book on the decans of the Zodiac. Maybe it's a little advanced, but I know that it's coming out with a new edition soon. So um, that's a great place to start. And honestly, my start, too, was just was really hermetic magic. I mean, it, it folds into it. You know, astrology folds into that stuff. So, um, you know, learning about astrology, how it uh, pertains to magic, all that it's, it's all, um, it's all integrated. I think. What do you think about sidereal versus tropical? I know that's a fairly controversial one, but at least when I, you know, my perception of it was that sidereal is the only accurate one, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, I'm a tropical astrologer. Okay. Uh, I, uh, my, my view, I, I see the, the, I see the value of sidereal astrology and I do use it sometimes. Like for example, if I'm using, if I'm dealing with fixed stars or something like that, I'm not going to use tropical astrology. I'm going to use sidereal astrology because I'm dealing with the actual star in that situation. But, um, uh, I, do you mind if I don't go too far into what, yes. like, I, 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 that's fine. I, I, I use, I use tropical astrology, but I see the virtues of sidereal astrology. And I believe that they're both, they can both, there's room on the broom. <laughs> I like that. That's a good, that's a good phrase. That's a good phrase for so many things. I remember yeah, that Frank, Frank Haynes, actually, which hotline I stole that from him. He's like, Damn. whenever is it, if I'm going to a party or something, he's like, is there room on the broom? Like <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that phrase could just defuse a lot of stuff right off the bat. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I remember it's that. It's like, we, we can all think differently. <laughs> we can, we can all use a different Zodiac. There's room on the broom. I love you it. Know, we can, I love it. So yeah. we talked about Time Lord, but uh, how can people find out more about you and your work and everything you are up to? Uh, I got a website and an Instagram. I don't update the website that much, but uh, MickeyPellerano.com and Mickey Pellerano on Instagram and uh, Time Lord TV. You can catch us every month on YouTube. So Awesome. Well, that was amazing. We should do it again soon. And, yeah, that uh, was so much fun. We haven't even talked like as friends in so long so just I to know. Like be on a podcast like right away well, i saw so you in funny. london like what three years ago or something but oh yeah the serpentine thing that was yeah. awesome yeah yeah that was random yeah yeah that was the last time i saw you well, uh, we got to catch up all right we will and thank you so much for having me it's always a pleasure to talk with you about it's, these things the pleasure is all mine and we should definitely have another one soon because these are always great great ones all right 100 percent Right. Hope you really enjoyed that. Don't forget to join us on Monday, Memorial Day, May 31st, for our 2021 World Summit, Magic.me World Summit. Anyone who is a paid Magic.me user of any product, uh, any class at any tier is invited. So if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. It's going to be great. I will see you there. 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and you will get an email with login details if you are a paid student. Uh, in the meantime, till next time, I will see you in class and hang in there. Be good. Lots of love. See you next time.